It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Carrickmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Carrickmacross or carrickmacrosscu.ie. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 5th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Buying a ham sandwich in Derry and walking across the border to eat it in Donegal could be illegal from Saturday week. An act of smuggling, as could that weekly supermarket shopping trip to Newry from Dundalk. This is according to Patrick Smith, the Europe editor of the Irish Times, who reports today that if the UK leaves the EU on the 13th of April, tomorrow week, with no deal, a scenario now described by the Commission as highly likely, the imposition of health controls between the EU and this third country will bring with it a ban on the export to the EU of all animal-based products, including meats and dairy products from ham to pork pies and cheddar to Wensleydale, butter too, unless that is an export Exporter is registered on an EU authorised exporter list as conforming to EU production and health standards. Chances are the problem will extend to shoppers going north to south. That is, if the central bank forecast on currency transpires, own Burke Kennedy reports on the front page of the Irish Times today that the central bank is predicting sterling will drop in value to near parity with the euro in the event of a no-deal Brexit heaping further pain on Irish exporters. In its latest quarterly bulletin, the bank forecasts sterling will weaken by a further 10% if the UK crashes out of the EU without a deal to trade at about 97 pence against the euro. It could become close to impossible for border traders in the south. Let's talk about this with Paddy Malone, who's uh, the PRO with uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. And apart from it being illegal to cross uh, the border or smuggle meat across uh, the border, if you were watching your pennies, you'd be unlikely to buy a ham sandwich in Carlingford and eat it in Warren Point because it would most likely be a lot cheaper to buy it in Warren Point. Unfortunately, yes. Although both places are a lovely spot to be, mm. and I'd love to be in a, I'd love to be this morning eating a ham sandwich in either place. But to be serious, yeah, we, we have said all along that if sterling drops dramatically in a short period, 
every retailer in Dundalk and every retailer along the border will suffer. Um, and a drop of 10%, which is similar to what we saw in June 16 when the, um, the vote took place, um, it had an immediate impact on Dundalk. And I talked to several retailers and they said it took them a couple of months to recover. Um, and this could but they be- did. But this could be a permanent feature it, of life along the border, and let's not forget that it was 77 pence against the euro before the referendum, and now we're talking about it being 97, 97 pence. And that's the point. It was 77, then it went to 85 almost overnight, mm. and, and that's what caused the problem. It will cause huge problems from the point of view... The sterling region will also suffer very dramatically because inflation will go through the roof, and... While initially the stocks that are in the shops in Newry will look significantly cheaper, when they go to restock those, if they have to buy them from euro or dollars, they're going to pay more in sterling, so it will come back to where it is. First-year economic student is taught that devaluing your sterling, or devaluing your currency, gives you a shot in the arm. But long-term, it actually has a, has a negative impact. Mm. So we would be in serious trouble over the short term. And that's why the Chamber has been consistent over the last three years in calling for the recognition of the exposure that the retail sector has in relation to rates rebates, in relation to... Um, yeah, but we're talking about a, a week's time, Paddy. Uh, how, yeah. short, how short is the short term? And will Dundalk have effectively closed down before... Uh, there's uh, this return to some sort of normality. Dundalk has proven to be resilient. And by the way, at 10% of a drop, we are talking about Dundalk, Drada and Navin. So let's not call ourselves. This is a a scary time for all of us that's listening within the LMF region. And across the border. It is not confined Mm -hmm. to to Dundalk. 10% moves the border significantly south. Mm. You know, the economic border, which is probably in Dundalk at the moment, will be running along the Boyne, if not further south. So you could even see Balbriggan suffering from it. Um, and I don't want to get into a scarce situation, but the government needs to react to this from a, to, to protect the retailers. And we've been arguing this constantly over the last few years. I've listened to exporters being looked after and the farming community mm-hmm. being looked after, but nobody has talked about the retail sector being looked yeah, after. Yeah, but if the cliff edge is the 12th, this day next week, yeah, it's too late to prepare, isn't it? Well, all I can say is we regret, <laughs> and I'm being diplomatic, yeah. that the government haven't listened to us completely. Now, we, can we, you know, what's going to happen is that's what's the situation if it crashes out. Mm. And I think that's and, a very big if, and I don't think it's going to happen. And it is a big if, and, yeah. I, yeah, mm. and then we need to stress mm. that we need to calm down and say it probably won't happen. Mm. It might. It's a pity it, the plans aren't properly in place for it. But taking that away... It probably won't happen. Mm. And what we still need to get is, if they do, if they are going to leave, so what we would still be saying to businesses in Nundalk and businesses elsewhere, prepare. Do what the revenue commissioners are asking you for. Go down, talk to Intertrade. There's several of us here in Nundalk that are Intertrade providers. Um, Intertrade uh, give uh, a vouchers out for you to come and talk to me, and there's several of us that can talk to you about how you go about look, ordering looking after your stuff. It may not be necessary, and please God, the, the, the job that I would do would be a waste of money, but at least it's Intertrade that's paying for it and not the customer. Mm, and uh, revenue saying that less than half of businesses less than that half. need repair I mean, have prepared, uh, and I think there's probably little or no prospect of the United Kingdom crashing out next Friday, Saturday. Uh, but uh, for as long as that's not certain, it's a remote possibility. Uh, regardless of how remote it is, uh, it's 
possible yeah, that had, it will happen I several, after I had, that at some yeah, stage. I had several clients ringing me yesterday in a panic. And I had to say to them, will you calm down? I'd already done it for you three months ago. So please, don't worry about it. But there is that situation of over 40, over half, we're working on the basis of it'll be all right on the night. And we talked about this a month ago, and we talked about this three months ago, uh, that it will be all right on the night. And what pleased us was, in the chamber, was we had 400 people in um, the Carrickdale getting that message less than a month ago. Yeah. Uh, and we'll continue to get it out. So what I would say is, it's never too late to plan. There is a lot of uncertainty for, uh, going forward. Uh, and all of those are worrying factors. But if common sense does prevail in, uh, and, and we don't see a crash, because it's not going to be in the EU's interest, in the British interest or in the Irish interest. It's in nobody's interest that it happens in that manner, except for a few ideologues within the Conservative Party. It doesn't, I think it'll be pulled back. But that said... Many a thing happens by mistake or by omission or by somebody not doing the job properly. And none of us can really say that the British have been doing the job properly over the last three years. So I would strongly say to businesses of all shapes and sizes, get ready, do your preparations, even if it's at 11 hours and whatever they have, 59 minutes, get it done. It's important. Well, what, 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 what's your sense of it at, at this stage? Uh, when will Brexit happen, if it will ever happen? Now, you see, the thing is, you're beginning to circle, and I would agree with you, if it will ever happen. I think there's a, a slow realisation beginning to dawn on enough people in Britain that they've gone, down the wrong, they've gone down the wrong rabbit hole and they need to turn around and come back up. And that's a very difficult thing politically to admit that you've made a complete mess of it, you know? Um, and I think the second referendum and going to the people and saying, look, we thought we could leave easily. This is the deal that we get from the EU. It's this mm. deal or no deal. What do you think? I, I think people will begin to focus on it differently. Now, I've been disappointed in the, the polls not indicating a more, a, a more radical change, but I think the fact that you had 6 million signatures and 1 million people in the square two weeks ago, that gets the message out. And I think the, the penny is dropping. And I think listening to mm. those that are 16 to 22, who long ago, I was at that age, but it's a long time ago now. But those, re- those people, those young people realize their future is in Europe. Their future is not the, the British Empire. And they'll be given age. time to think about it. Most likely this is going to be delayed for 9, 12, possibly 24 months. Uh, and in that time frame, views will change. People will forget. I think so. And I think people will focus. And what you've mm. got to remember is that you, you point to the Conservative Party tearing itself apart. On, mm. And I think they said the last five British Prime Ministers from Heath right through Thatcher or Major mm. and Cameron, they've all gone the same way. Europe. But the reality of the situation is none of those ever argued to leave Brexit. Mm. Even Thatcher, what she went in with her handbag and, you know, famously slamming it on the table and all the rest of it, what she was looking for was a better, a better deal that she thought she was paying too much into the common agricultural policy, which in hindsight she probably was. But that's all she was talking about. At no stage was it ever part of a, senior, uh, a serious political uh, effort to, to leave. The, to leave. Mm. So I think common sense will calm everything down. And um, the central banks, you know, Stock situation, four mm. percent plus. If we if Britain stays in, one percent if they don't. You know, and and the thing is that if we can get Brexit put it, put it to bed, the economy is in a well fit condition to grow fast. And one of the things that pleased me about the Brexit report, about the Central mm. Bank report, and let's just look on a couple of positives. It was indicating that wage levels will start to rise faster than inflation significantly. Now that's ten years after the crash. 
That's good news at long last for people who have been struggling for the last 10 years and really have been. You know, we've had a strong economic growth, but the ordinary five-eighths, the ordinary guy in the street that will go up to Oriel Park on a Friday night or whatever, they haven't felt that in the last 10 years. This actually would mean, you know, 7% pay rises and 2 or 3% inflation. That's, that, that's a nice situation to be in. You know, and please God, that's what we get rather than the other. But you need rather than being impoverished, uh, which yeah. is the upshot of it all. But it's quite possible that we'll be back here on Monday morning talking about uh, the upcoming general election in the United Kingdom, and there could be several general elections in the United Kingdom before this Brexit issue is sorted out. And it's quite possible that they'll forget the whole thing off, or that when they actually do leave the European Union, it'll be watered down to such an extent that it'll make little or no difference. Yeah. We in this country have had enough experience with referendums to realise that Lisbon, Maastricht and and several others, the people when they're asked the question actually don't answer the question that they're asked. And you as an experienced commentator and interviewer will know that very often people do not answer the question you've asked them. Um, And the problem with referendums is they are crude. And if you're not careful and not skillful in asking the question in the correct manner, you get the wrong answer. They answer a different question than the people have been asked. And I think the British have now realised that they've gone at this the wrong way. And I think Theresa May, would, would, if she'd started from the point of view of trying to work with Corbyn, mm-hmm. and although I can see he was a prickly, son, prickly person to mm-hmm. deal with, they, they needed to do it for the interest of the country. And the country was never put before either the, 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 the Labour Party. Uh, but I think they needed to do it for the optics for the country to think that they're trying to do something. Well, I don't think they're going to get past Wednesday. No, but the problem is... If they've I mean, I don't know if they'll get past they, the weekend, but they won't get past ago. Wednesday. Do you think they'll get past Wednesday? The EU Council Summit when they have to come and say what their intentions are? I think they're are. going to go to the Council Summit and say mm. we need more time mm. and Tusk has indicated this morning that there'll be 12 months at least mm. on, the, on the table mm. and that's another 12 months and it'll go on beyond that mm. and May even has now just indicated and, uh, and then that, what? that they will prepare for mm. European elections. Yeah. Once she has said that mm. she's locked in. She's lost any Ability well, she has no authority now. She's lost the support of many members of the Conservative Party. She's lost the support of the DUP. Uh, a general election is inevitable, isn't it? I would have thought the arithmetic is such that mm. it is, yes. Um, and the, the problem with that is, does it, will, it answer, will it answer anything significantly? There seems to be a crying out for a party that is going to be pro-European mm. somewhere on the ballot paper. So either the Labour Party... Cops onto the leadership, cops onto itself, and mm. actually reflects what it's decided already in, in at, at, at Congress and says it, um, and accept, and Jeremy Corbyn accepts what the majority of the Labour Party wants. Then there's some chance. Well, looking at it from outside, but the, the, the significant answer may be that this is parked for at least twelve months, if not longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it may well be a case of we. Ha- but this is the mm. point: asking the question in the wrong way, or asking the wrong question, or allowing people to manipulate the system, whether it was through Cambridge Analytics mm. or whatever. Mm. We, we, and in a way, you know, it's, we have now learned the, the, the damage that mm. social media, Twitter, Facebook and all the rest can actually do. So maybe there's no, maybe if, if, if nothing else, if yeah, we no, get people, that corrected pe- yeah. for future, whether mm. it's in France or whether Ukraine apparently had it earlier this week, at least we could stop that messing. Yeah, um, well, the question is posed and answered in 100 characters or less. And, of course, we all want to be free and uh, the masters of our own destiny and uh, to be able to strike trade deals with every country across the world and to be great again and to bring... 
uh, power back or whatever the slogans were. But it's a little like saying to people, do you want to improve the health service? Everybody says yes. Yeah, apple tart and ice cream. Do, do, do you want to pay for it? No, of course I don't. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the problem with, with, and this is it, the problem with a complex question is you, it's very difficult to frame it in a simplistic manner. And not enough time had been given by Cameron or others to tease out what the question should be before the question was asked and to explain the scenarios to people and to challenge and, you know, the other sides in, in relation to what they were saying. And, you know, we, we can cry over all of that, but they just, British do not have the experience of referendums. Now, we've had to, on a couple of occasions, as I said, go back and ask the question twice because the first time the question wasn't raised, wasn't raised properly or the government was so unpopular that the, the vote was seen to be a vote on the government rather than a vote on what, mm. what they were, people were being asked. So, you know, that, that's the challenge now is for all of Europe to figure out where do you go from here. Well, the uh, big challenge, I think, is how do you allow the United Kingdom and uh, the people of the United Kingdom save face? Because they're already a laughing stock. If this is parked, uh, I mean, people are, are quite rightly going to uh, laugh at them all the more uh, and say, I thought you were leaving Europe. Uh, where was that great big deal? Uh, I mean, you are ridiculous because they are ridiculous. Well, look, what you've got to say about Britain is that they developed a, 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 a democracy over several centuries, which, let's face it, up until now, had proven to be pretty robust. Um, there was no revolutions. You can the, the, the charter in the 1830s and, and maybe something in the 1880s, but there was no, and the poll tax in the 1990s, but there was no significant overthrow of the government or anything else like that. That never happened. Um, and that is a testament to the fact that there was some good in it. Mm. It's also proven the fact that because it's a hybrid, it's neither one thing nor the other. It's, it's a, you know, it's an, it doesn't have a written constitution. It, 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 it's not clear as to whether the people have the power Parliament has the power, or Cabinet has the power. Mm. All of these things about indicative votes, which is something that I didn't hear about, mm. didn't know anything about three years ago. I always assumed if Parliament passed something, that was it. Um, so you're now finding out a completely different issue, and people are now ra- raising, realizing that they're not in a, in, in a written constitution. And thank God for our faults and all that it is. At least we know where we stand, and the Supreme Court sits there at the top of the table and says to the government, you know, there's a check and balance between the two. Anyway, next Saturday, you think people will be able to... Next sandwich, I think people, next Saturday people will be able to take the Carlingford Ferry uh, and have a ham sandwich and yeah. have a ham sandwich on uh, both sides uh, of the and, and like it in Mrs. Merkel's experience, they may be able to come south of the border and have a, a Frankfurter, as the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it wasn't so if it wasn't so serious yeah, it would be funny yeah, yeah. alright Paddy listen we leave it there for the moment uh, and hopefully uh, it's not a, a false sense of security uh, there's a, a long week ahead of us obviously but thank you indeed for joining us this morning Paddy Malone is uh, the PRO with uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk Michael Reed on LMFM. 18% of us living in this country come from an immigrant background. That's almost one in five of us. But just 1% of the members of Angarda Shiakana 
are from foreign descent as a result of this Angarda Siakana is making some changes in terms of recruitment, dress code and indeed the skill sets that are needed to join the force so they're trying to attract people from all minority groups including lesbian, gay and bisexual people on top of those who come from foreign backgrounds. Let's talk about this with Shane O'Curry who's the director of ENAR Ireland, that's the European Network Against Racism. Good morning to you, Shane, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. I suppose a a lot of the headgear that is particularly foreign or has been particularly foreign in this country is uh, the part of the story that's making the headlines, Uh, but it it shows uh, how much this country has changed in the course of the last 30 years as well. Yes, I think it's. I mean, I think it's really great news, um, and the news was was uh, especially welcome because it 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 broke just as we were launching our responding to racism guide. So it really it gives a sense of, of a feeling of um, of our institutions and of officialdom finally coming to the recognition that we uh, live in a in a in a multicultural society and and, and dealing with that multicultural reality and beginning. Uh, beginning the journey of uh, adapting our institution and our practices um, to the reality that we, uh, the, you know, that we live in a diverse society where people have different needs, and so that we need to attune our practices uh, to meet those needs, so that yeah, we can I think, have. I think uh, thirty years yeah. ago, a lot of us would have fallen out of our standing if we'd seen anybody walking down the street, let alone a, a guard wearing a, a turban or a hijab. Uh, that's not the case today, which is yeah. a, a great sign of positive change and the diversity that there is in this country. But quite often, you get complaints from people who've been subject to abuse for wearing such clothing. Yeah, it's true. But I mean, I suppose as well, it's, it's worth remembering that 50 years ago, we wouldn't have been surprised to see a woman wearing a headscarf um, in true. Ireland. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a, it, these things come, come around again and again. But yes, um, uh, it, the, you know, people, the, the, the headscarf being problematized is something that's relatively recent in the last 15 mm. or so years. And it, it came from continental Europe where, uh, you know, there was an explicit... Um, it was an explicit effort by uh, elements on the far right to make the hijab into a thing in France and in French-speaking countries, uh, Belgium uh, uh, and, and Luxembourg as well. Mm. So it was. Um, so it, 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 it uh, and, and it and it grew from there. Um, you know, up, on, up until that point, the hijab w- was not a problem, and uh, uh, and indeed, you know, police forces. Uh, forward-thinking police forces around the world, you know, countries where the, you know, where they are are conscious that they're catering to multicultural environments, mm. um, they, you know, within places like India, where they have people from many religious traditions, um, uh, and and the UK mm. have long accommodated um, the needs of people from different cultural and religious backgrounds by accommodating their needs. Uh, to, to wear a headdress that's appropriate to their culture, um, and this is—I think that this is a really welcome move by mm-hmm. Drew Harris and by Angarda Shiokana. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very low-cost but very important signal 
uh, that Angarda Shirkana is sending what's out. The, what's the experience saying, being elsewhere, though? As you say, it's commonplace in a, a lot of yeah. countries uh, for members of the police force uh, to wear what would not be traditional dress in this country. How do people respond? Yeah. Not all people, because I think racist attacks are carried out by a minority of people. But do the police yeah. officers themselves come uh, become the subject of uh, racist uh, attacks? Uh, I, I mean, I have... Uh, I, I don't have any data about that, but I have no doubt that since, um, since police officers are themselves often subjected to racial abuse just for belonging to an ethnic minority background, that that would that that would fit with it. Um, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that uh, being able to wear the headdress would especially single uh, a, a police officer out. Mm. Um, in fact, I think that I think that the the, the benefits far outweigh that. I think mm. that the uh, you know, when you when you normalize it, when you say, look, here's somebody who is a public servant, you know, who is representing our republic and who is uh, who is a guardian of the peace. Um, and they just happen to be from a minority background. And, and what that says is that, you know, we're, we're diverse and we're we're all in this together. And uh, but most importantly, what it says to people from that minority background or from a similar minority background but also anybody from any minority background is like is look uh, you know this is a this is a police force that isn't seeking to homogenize this is the police force that is looking um, to understand different cultures um, because if you know if somebody in if I, if I go to the poli- if I go to the police and there's somebody yeah. who looks like me or who has similar cultural traits to me, or I'm going to language. feel more comfortable yeah, and yeah, feel yeah, myself yeah, reflected yeah. in that police force. Well, that's it. That they should reflect yeah. the community that yeah. they are policing. Uh, and yeah. uh, I suppose a, a lot of the attacks uh, that we're talking about are quite often cowardly acts. Uh, and uh, yeah. if people are afraid to attack police officers, uh, that uh, might take away some of uh, the stigma, if you like, uh, of wearing. Uh, this type of clothing or how it seems to be unusual to some of uh, these people but with the ability to join the force uh, and dress in what will be acceptable in about a year from now as I understand it uh, that will mean that uh, people as you say from different backgrounds and cultures can join uh, and with that comes new languages uh, which will be of great benefit to Angarda Shikana. Yeah well I think so and I think already Angarda Shikana have people uh, from different cultural backgrounds. Um, actually, coincidentally, not long ago, I came across a Garda who was speaking Romanian uh, to uh, some uh, Romanian speakers uh, in in the community, uh, and I thought that that's you know that's uh, it's very it's very smart and forward thinking by Garda Shikana, and mm-hmm. as you say, that sort of reflects the uh, the fact that people um, people should be able to be policed by people. From their own culture, you know that is a, that that is a, that it makes sense in terms of policing. But I think that we need to be conscious as well, and this is the you know the lessons from north of the border with the PSNI and uh, the police force post pattern is that you make you need to make an extra strenuous effort uh, with with quotas to to recruit people from underrepresented communities. It doesn't just happen when you remove a couple of barriers like that and you, and you, and you signal things, although those signals are very, very, very helpful. Um, you need to proactively recruit. Uh, and then once you have recruited, you need to promote within uh, so that the whole force is, is reflective of the, of the diversity in society out there. As you say, we have a long way to go from 1% to 18%. Um, 
and I, I think that, that that is something that is going to have is going to require redoubling of effort, and and that's a, one of the submissions that we made when we made our submission to the Commission on the Future Policing in Ireland, based on the data that we got from our I report to the IE system, is that uh, people would feel much more comfortable uh, if they were if they were confident that the that the police had people like them or from from their culture or from a mm. similar culture uh, within it. Uh, even in the knowledge, even if they were dealing with a white Irish Garda, if they knew that that Garda had a colleague who mm. was from a similar background to them, that would uh, that would increase their confidence that the, 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 the Garda would be sensitive to their needs because they would know that those kind of conversations mm-hmm. were going on within the force. Yeah, but yeah. We've often spoke to you about the I-Report, and if I remember correctly, you quite often hear from people who believe that their complaints have not been taken seriously by Angarda Shikana, and obviously that's what you're referring to there and that the way the complaint will be received would be very different. Yes, I think and that's the hope. I mean, I suppose it's, you know, we wouldn't want to expect miracles either. I think that, you know, quite often complaints of, of, of many kinds, uh, you know, you'll find people saying that they're dissatisfied with, with police outcomes, but in particular with regards to racist incidents and in particular with regards to the experience of minorities because of this uh, cultural barrier, if you like, of it, because of this, um, uh, because of this uh, inability of the force to be attuned to the sensitivities that are needed, uh, you know, so not through malice or anything, but just mm. uh, just because of the way things are. Um, so I think that that is something that that needs to be addressed, um, and uh, and uh, the the uh, and, and and so we, but we really we really welcome uh, that announcement. I mean, I think it's very forward thinking. Um, and we look forward to other measures being put in place around it uh, so that the the diversity of the force could can you know at last reflect mm. the reality of the society that we live in uh, I think Shane yeah. uh, racism is quite often driven by uh, fear fear of uh, the unknown as uh, the case may be and sometimes yeah. uh, there is reason to be fearful uh, and uh, Islamic terrorism is something to be fearful of, of uh, at the moment but uh, one of the advantages but white, white nationalist terrorism is, uh, is, oh, yeah. <laughs> is yeah, very yeah. high on is, uh, is something that we should all be fearing but we have a, we have a, but yeah. that but that, that is yeah. perhaps the point yeah. uh, I mean, I couldn't uh, agree with you more, but uh, we per- we have quite possibly a force that can contend with white terrorism because it's a predominantly white police force uh, uh, yep. of a native background in this country. With this change comes people from foreign backgrounds with foreign languages and the ability to speak the language of uh, the potential terrorist. Um, yes, well, I mean, I, th- I, 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 I mean, I think that that's... Um well, I, 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 I'm no expert on anti-terrorism, mm. and, and uh, um, I, I'm also cautious about... Um, well, I think it's um, one of the points um, the Deputy Commissioner, uh, John yeah. Toomey, has been making in terms of how they'll be able to recruit people from backgrounds that would have, uh, other, wouldn't have otherwise been attracted to the uh, police force. Yes, I think I, I. I mean, I think that's that's correct. I, but I, but I would say that you know that good policing is, is is the kind of policing that builds the confidence of communities and so takes away the conditions in which people become discontented and radicalized against against the state in the first place. So I think that that is um, uh, that that is that uh, that would be the hope for me, rather than uh, you know, rather than. Um, 
than uh, you know, a, a way of like combating people. Like, I think it's probably like yeah. prevent and, and anti-terrorism measures, which yeah, we yeah. know from the experience of the Irish and the Prevention of Terrorism Act, mm-hmm. um, etc., tend to backfire. Um, and uh, so, we're, so I would be very cautious about uh, uh, about um, security-focused measures, uh, you know, or, or mm-hmm. treating any community as a suspect community uh, any more than another. Um, we don't have, um, you, you know, let, let's not manufacture a problem in Ireland. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's yeah. a, a half full, half empty glass yeah. uh, question, yeah. uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment, Shane. Uh, overall, uh, I think uh, it's uh, a change in terms of uh, guard policy uh, that is uh, being welcomed. And thank you for joining us uh, this morning to talk about it. Shane O'Curry, Director of ENAR Ireland, that's the European Network Against Racism. Michael Reed on LMFM. Local councillors vote every year on uh, the rate of local property tax in their area. They have uh, the ability to increase uh, the tax by 15% or reduce it by 15% or somewhere in between for that matter. That is uh, to change under recommendations in a government report, according to the Irish Independent today, and uh, the ability to reduce the local property tax will be taken away from councillors. Instead, they will only be able to increase the rate of tax. That's after they're elected in May of this year. The property tax, as you know, was introduced in 2013. They had expected to change it in 2016. That was postponed until this year. Now it's been deferred until after the elections in May, in fact, for another 12 months. Let's talk about this with uh, Peter Burke, who's a Fine Gael TD for Longford Westmead and uh, a member of the Oireachtas Finance Committee. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd explain uh, why the decision has been taken to defer the tax once again. Good morning, Michael. Well, first of all, one of the cornerstones for the tax code is to provide certainty. People needed to be predictable to manage their uh, monthly outgoings and to ensure that they can run their household. And currently, we have a very volatile housing market. We have seen significant increases in valuation in property since 2013, and it's been uneven throughout the country, which presents an even greater challenge. So what the government has said that householders shouldn't at the moment have to bear the burden of this volatile market because currently we still have a case where demand still outstrips supply in the housing market and that's one thing the government is trying to fix. So when the market is stabilising, we're getting more uh, supply of housing into the market, we now want to try and get a consensus of how we will rectify the imbalance that's currently in the valuation and in the property tax calculation. And that's why the committee, which you've referred to, has presented five recommendations. It's also presented a number of uh, base recommendations, one of which you cite in relation to the 15% uh, of uh, discretion that the local authorities have. But I point out that this is going to the Budgetary Oversight Committee. It will have to get a political consensus because we are in a minority government. 32nd Doyle presents challenges in that we have to go for consensus politics. So we will have to wait and see what the outcome is and what options are selected by the committee. Right. Uh, Has it been poorly planned or is it the political reality that you cannot uh, introduce uh, these measures or plan to introduce these measures uh, so close to an election? No, I think uh, originally, uh, it's obviously uh, the original uh, deferral was going to be after the elections anyway. 
So um, we're, we're not expecting an election until uh, mm. 2020, a main general election, and we'll be hopeful but that... The, uh, the local elections uh, are this year, and it's yeah, the local, local elections, elections that I'm, I'm referring the original, to, and they would have been won and lost on this issue quite possibly. Yeah, but the, the original deferral would not have uh, been determined until after local elections anyway. So it's not uh, an issue of trying to avoid the election. The original deferral was uh, to November 2019. We've pushed mm. it out again. So at, at the moment, what we're hoping to do is get a political consensus, give certainty to taxpayers. Because there's such uh, volatility in the marketplace, it's very hard to expect, you know, you could have up to 66% increases for people if you're on the 90 euro band and you're going up to 225 euro. So mm. we have to be very careful in terms of the increases that people have to shoulder. And we don't want to, uh, you know, squeeze people that are already under pressure. So we need to get a consensus on how we actually calculate this tax, because mm. it's not going to stand up to scrutiny in terms of an 80% increase in valuation at the current rate of 0.18%. Okay, but I, I, I'm sure it's true to say that six months out from such a significant change in terms of how taxes are collected for almost everybody in this country, and there's thousands of people who don't pay this tax apparently, but for almost everybody in this country, it would have been one of the election issues and indeed the parties would have campaigned uh, on foot of how they planned to respond to the need for this change. And it still may be. It has a 97% uh, compliance rate. I know a number of political parties have advocated not to pay your local property tax even though it is a progressive tax. It's amazing to see that socialists try and campaign against progressive taxes when it should be in line with their socialist policy. But I would make the point that we do need certainty and we need space in terms of the Oireachtas to provide a solution to what is a complex issue. How you, number one, calculate the valuation bands and secondly, how you, how you calculate the rate of tax is fairly complex. And this report sets out in detail five different recommendations on how to do that. And each of those recommendations have drawn challenges challenges. So that's open now for people to see. And it's open to see that the Oireachtas, the 32nd doll, has to adjudicate on each mm. of those issues and come up with a solution to put forward for people that will give them certainty and predictability on how the tax code operates. Uh, and as things stand, it's uh, the people who are on the second lowest band who would see the highest increases. There's no uh, recommended... There's no... Um, uh, recommendation taken yet so at the moment but the recommendation uh, is to go from 225 uh, euro an increase five of five recommendations Michael mm-hmm. just to be clear yes but five it, recommendations here in front in terms of how to calculate the tax in terms of the rate which would have various different implications for all the 19 bands so there is no recommendation that has been taken here because it's going to the committee. And that's one of the things uh, the report in The Independent was wholly inaccurate in that it was running with one of the recommendations, but there hasn't been a decision made on this. Mm. We in a minority government have the capacity to make a decision on this. It has to go to the committee, which they have to get a clear line of sight of what direction they want to take to reform this system. But this is one of the recommendations and one of the recommendations which is of concern to the department which has its regressive uh, undoubtedly it's uh, of concern to you and members of uh, the committee because it, it would see people's property tax go from 90 euro to 225 euro an increase of 135 euro is that right yes that's a huge concern for one of the options but there are other options like uh, bringing the rate down to 0.114% that's option 1 uh, you have options in terms of you know trying to ensure that the bands are widened because obviously at the moment there's 19 bands. If you're over a million euro, you're going up to your quarter percent, your 0.25. Mm. But currently, the rate of which property uh, prices increase, if I look at County Longford, one of my constituency, 
year it went up by 42% since 2013. It's 80% plus in some other counties. So that presents a massive challenge for rural dwellers as well. And we also always have to bear in mind that in Dublin you obviously have, you know, first class uh, public services in a lot of areas where you have your Lewis coming up to your door, whether in rural Ireland you don't have that. So we have to be very careful on how we get a clear line of sight and how we reform this tax. What about ability to pay? Ability to pay is the undercurrent of it. It's still going to remain. That's one of the recommendations that's very strong. Strong is that the exemptions should remain in place because obviously anyone's income who is lower than uh, 35000 or 15000 as a single person or if you're in uh, mortgage arrears or if you uh, are encountering difficulty, there is deferral methods where you can put in place. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of the report was that for anyone over 80, they're recommending mm. that the social welfare code should deal with this. Heretofore, uh, the government had commissioned uh, the Thornhill report, which recommended that anyone over 80 should be exempt. So the current uh, report, the latest one, is recommending that that should be dealt with through the Social Welfare Court. So there are very much suggesting that ability to pay be the cornerstone of it, and those exemptions that are currently mm. there remain in place. And but like but rather than deferral, that there be waivers? Uh, no, that there, that, there, that there are deferral, that's deferred on... Mm. Uh, the, when the property crystallises. But that's ability to pay now. Uh, that's yeah. that's not... Uh, well, uh, the ability to pay is a deferral method. The property, if you own a property, the property is an asset. Mm. It is there. And the only thing, obviously, that uh, erodes your ability to pay that if the asset is encumbered, okay. like if there's a mortgage on it, or if it's uh, in significant negative equity. Okay. And obviously, that would crystallise at some point in time. But the revenue provides to ensure that no one uh, has uh, undue hardship placed upon them at the current time and they can defer it uh, into the property when it crystallises. Okay, well, there's a a long way, obviously, to go uh, in this debate. We leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Finnegale TD for Longford Westmeath, Peter Burke, who's a member of the Oireachtas Finance Committee. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. Seamus from Dundalk. First out of the blocks this morning, phoned in during your interview with Paddy Malone of Dundalk Chamber of Commerce and says that Mr Malone is right that this really is a scary time. And yes, he agrees. What will the government be doing to help retailers in border areas? that they should have a plan in place. Businesses are going to suffer enormously if there is a crash and it really is going to be too late next week trying to organise it all. Well, that's if and it's a very big if and of course it became an even bigger if this morning. Laura tweeted to say the northeast of the 26 counties rather than the whole island is my home and always will be. I can't fully express my fury at what is being done to Ireland and especially this part of Ireland as a result of Brexit. Mm, yeah, well, there you go. Sinead from Dundalk. Michael, people are saying it probably won't happen. But what if it does? Mm. Then where will we be? What about all those who go over and back across the border every day for their work? If there are queues on the border, this will have serious implications. We take it for granted now. Yeah, well, I mean, it won't happen next week uh, if uh, Mrs May's request is granted and uh, she doesn't leave until June. And uh, will she be leaving in June if she's preparing... Candidates uh, for the European elections, I have a feeling that this one's going to be kicked down the road, a long distance down the road for that matter. Jim from Drogheda, can you really see 
the Brits admit that they got it wrong. I'm not so sure. Mm. They could well leave this weekend with no deal, Michael. Yeah, they could. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's next it's weekend, a, really, isn't it? Yeah. A, as remote an option as, or as remote. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What a possibility as it is, it's a possibility and a possibility is possible. Well, John thinks that you're right in your thoughts, Michael, that it will be delayed again. He feels that they don't want to leave without a deal. We've seen that with the votes. And it would be drastic for the UK if this happened mm. and MPs won't want that. Yeah, well, Mrs May now has asked for an extension till June. Uh, I won't be terribly surprised if the answer is no. Uh, and uh, you can have an extension, but it has to be longer than June because a June extension makes absolutely no ex- no sense because what yes. you do about the European elections and so on. Uh, so you're talking 9, 12, 24 months at that stage and maybe by whatever year that is what is it now 19 so 2021 or 2 or whatever it is uh, people will have forgotten about it all so you think that's where it could be heading yep if you had that crystal ball Mm, yeah or by that stage they'll say oh yeah the plan was always to leave but no oh no it wasn't as dramatic as that Uh, we're going to stay in the customs union or whatever it is it'll be a watered down version An Eastmead listener is not sure whether our government has got it right in relation to Brexit or not. They have been keeping very quiet in relation to the implications if there's a no deal Mm. and maybe there's a valid reason for that. But I don't think they are really planning for that worst case scenario or if they are, they are keeping that under lock and key. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. Uh, And I think uh, a lot of people were surprised at Angela Merkel yesterday, uh, the German Chancellor here, some people thought it was uh, to make sure that there were plans in place and to find out what they were and what we would do and how we would have the army shooting people trying to come across the border or whatever it was. Uh, but she didn't say anything like that. She just said, uh, I'm on your side and we'll stand together. Billy was listening to the interview and says that people cross the border because it's cheaper to shop and he feels we're giving too much time to Brexit and we need to focus more on issues like housing. Mm, Well, I suppose we were talking about that indirectly this morning and that if Brexit does come to pass, we don't think it will, but if it does come to pass, uh, you're talking about parity in terms of uh, the currency, about 97 pence per euro, which would make it very cheap to shop. 
Noel from North County Dublin thinks we're being very harsh on our neighbours mm. in the UK. Yeah. He says, uh, I was listening into the various discussions over the last couple of weeks and I think now and again we should all pause and look at the other side and look at the millions that were killed in the two world wars and look at the price that the UK paid for democracy in Europe instead of all the time picking on England. I think they do need a fair bit of credit and we should be able to say thank you despite our own problems with them we should recognise that Okay and some would say that the United Kingdom should recognise that the greatest thing ever done for peace on the continent of Europe was the European Union but we do have elections coming up as we said that extension to June seems very hard to, to understand being possible because of the European elections but we've also local elections coming up in May and with the elections comes the delight of the posters on the polls. Some people love them, some people aren't so keen. You've been asking people locally what they think of election posters. I don't think they should be up. I don't think they're very friendly to the environment because they're not always taken down and they blow around the place. But uh, certainly uh, they should be in public buildings. I think all the faces of the candidates should be on display, fairly big, so people can see put a name and a face together, but not round the poster, not round the, the polls. If they, they're grand, if they take, put them up, take them down the next day when elections are over. Oh, they should be banned. They're no good. Everyone has made up their mind already who they're going to vote for. So they don't want to see some person on a poster. They know already, so they do. So I definitely think they should be banned. And you don't think it'd be unfair to first-time candidates? Should we have Facebook now? We have all those, you know, WhatsApp and everything. So we'd all know about the candidates, so we would, you know. So definitely I wouldn't go for the posters at all. I'd like to know what they're talking about and the policies rather than that. Yes, so that's the way I would look at it. So I would. I think it's okay to put them up as long as they take them down when the elections are over. Probably. Would it influence how you'd vote? It depends what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, you know, uh, looks can be deceiving. They shouldn't be allowed. They're a completely waste of money. People know who they're going to vote for. They're, they don't need posters on the wall or hanging up on the polls one after the other. They need to get rid of them and spend the money somewhere else instead of wasting it on posters. No, there's no need for them at all because they're a nice or in the country, that's all. There's enough signs around towns already without them sticking up in polls. Some people say, though, it's unfair to new candidates if there's no election posters. Well, they should get on the radio and the local radio stations and all that. That's that, That's where they should go. The message out through that, but not bloody posters up in polls. I don't mind them up myself, but I think you can become blind to them because there's so many up and... Do they do the job? They do to an extent, but as I said, there's so many up that you don't see them then. You drive past them and you're not looking. They're just, they're just another part of the scenery, an ugly part of the scenery. All right. Some sense at the end of uh, that particular Vox Pop, uh, that woman obviously speaking outside of the cranky club you went into to <laughs> speak to those other people, was it? <laughs> Did you say they were cranky? Oh, for God's sake, it's only a few posters. <laughs> What's wrong with them? I actually was surprised that there was a few that didn't mind, mm. you know, at all. I thought they were all against it. No, no. Oh, there were mm. some that said once they're taken down, they don't mm, mind them going mm, up. Mm. But I thought uh, that the, the man was funny when he said that about the looks can be deceiving. Mm, yeah. <laughs> in relation to, you know, you might put a picture to a name or whatever and, mm. and vote for someone because you like the look of them. I've often heard of people voting for somebody, Michael, because mm. they like the look of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. But yeah. they're going to be going up anyway, so. Yeah. Should you be allowed to 
put a, a 10 year old photo of yourself up uh, that's something we discussed not too long ago with Marion Butler uh, but that's uh, a way of recycling a 10 year old oh you mean not not her as a 10 year old no, you mean a 10 a year old her, yes, a yes. photograph of herself taken 10 years ago but she's aged well maybe she looks exactly well, the same as she, she does said. 10 yeah, years that's ago that's what she said but I'm sure I she has I, I'm sure she has uh, but I just don't know if uh, that's a fair indication of what somebody like I mean if somebody's going to vote on the basis of what you look like surely it should be a photograph of you today I mean it's a good argument mm. but she may say she looks the same as yeah, she does 10 years okay. ago and I'm not going to argue with that she, she says exactly that yes and I'm sure she's right um, just can I get one in on the, one or two in on the property tax quickly mm. uh, I, a listener phoned in didn't want to give a name but said I paid my property tax last week 225 euro it's more than enough this month I also paid my car insurance that was way more than enough too Michael despite the high cost of car insurance I feel the government is doing little to tackle the problem you work hard in this country but yet you pay out so much to revenue the property tax should not be increased many homeowners just can't afford it and as I said preferred not to give name John mm. and Navin things were getting off lightly in this country. My niece has to pay 2650 in property tax and 980 in water charges in the UK. Okay, that's a so lot of money. It sure is. Mm. So there you go. What does she get for it? That's the next question. We yes. haven't got the time to answer it, but no. that is probably uh, the longer version of that conversation uh, and we'll come back to that another day. Thanks for that for the moment though, Marie, okay. and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, our telephone number is 1850 Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Minister for the Environment launched Antoshka's online green schools teaching aid, promoting climate change awareness and advice yesterday. There's a lot of strands to this, but let's talk about it with Joe Healy, who's the president of the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association, because you take issue with certain aspects of it which relate to farming. One of the suggestions in this guide is for students to hold a vegetarian or vegan potluck taster involving swapping recipes. Uh, There's other uh, issues uh, that I I think uh, you take issue with, which is uh, the idea of eating less meat or dairy products in order to reduce uh, their carbon footprint. Uh, It also suggests having a Meatless Monday campaign in schools and asking an entire school to pledge to a number of climate action pledges, including one to eat less meat and dairy. Uh, Are these not good things for the environment and the future of our planet? Well, there are a number of issues here. And first of all, I want to point out that I think the the Green Schools uh, programme is a good initiative. Uh, I have three teenage daughters myself when they were going to national school. The national school was very involved and it's centred around gathering plastic, planting trees, getting involved in renewables. And to me... That part of it you like? Yes, but I think uh, we're very clear in the IFA that on this occasion that uh, Antashka have way overstepped the mark, gone beyond their remit and gone into an area where they have no expertise um, and that's when they move into advice on dietary habits for for people, uh, and particularly for school-going mm. uh, people. And, you know, if, if, if I want dietary advice for my three teenage daughters, and I come to this on uh, a number of fronts, I'm uh, a father, I'm a farmer, and I'm also president of the IFA, so anything that has the, that can hinder 
livelihoods of farmers, of course, we, we'll defend it. But if I want dietary advice or healthy food advice or healthy eating advice, um, I go to the Department of Health and their, in their food permit, they recommend for, t- for young people between the ages of 9 and 18, five servings of dairy products per day and two servings of meat. Now, when I go to the um, to download the the green pack mm-hmm. from from Antashka, it says uh, to answer climate change, one of the options is that when everyone becomes vegan. Now, to me, that's dietary advice, and that's. Um, well, when everybody becomes an when, area where they're not qualified. when everybody becomes vegan or uh, a meatless Monday, uh, as is one of uh, the suggestions in this particular guide, uh, well, that is uh, a dietary change. Uh, but with that comes a, a reduction in the national herd, and with that comes a, a reduction in our carbon emissions. Does it not? I'm I'm not so sure about that, Michael, because you know what do you replace it with uh, vegetables or plants flown in from. Uh, places, far-flung places like South America, uh, that creates a huge amount of, of carbon. I, it's very well highlighted by the European Commission, uh, their Joint Research Committee, that Ireland is the most uh, carbon-efficient producers of dairy product in Europe and in the top five most carbon-efficient producers of beef product. So we, we have a very carbon-efficient model of farming here in Ireland. and I think that mm, But we have too many cows, don't we? No, we don't. Uh, absolutely not. We have less. We have three hundred thousand less animals now than we had in 1998. We produced 10 percent less carbon last year than we did in 1998. And actually, since 1990, Irish agriculture has increased its output by 40 percent overall, mm. and without increasing our carbon emissions. So uh, farmers have rightly, and in IFA, we rightly encourage farmers. Uh, to become more carbon efficient. We we actually run a, a smart farming program in conjunction with the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, promoting the whole idea of smart farming, reducing carbon emissions. And that program has highlighted the fact that um, you know, we can, it can be a win-win reducing emissions and uh, reducing costs on farms. Okay, let's hear a different perspective uh, for a moment, uh, if we can, Joe Healy. John Carmody is uh, an animal rights uh, commentator and he joins us now. And uh, I know uh, that uh, you dedicate a lot of time to protecting animal rights, uh, but you're hardly vegetarian or vegan for that matter. Yeah, hi, good morning to you, Joe. And I was just listening there with, with a lot of interest, but I have to say it's, it's, uh, that I'm, I'm not at all um, surprised by what um, Antashka came out with yesterday. Um, you know, for 20 years, I led campaigns to expose cruelty to animals and animal suffering and animal welfare. And in, back in the 90s, um, we were calling on people to, you know, to reduce their, eat, their meat-eating habits and, and eating meat full stop because we were warning that climate change is ahead. And right now, it's not because of animal rights groups anymore. It's because there's doctors, there's scientists, environmental groups, even environmental groups back in the 90s weren't even um, telling people to go vegetarian or veganist. They were dodging that issue. But now we are facing climate change um, head on and we know it's, it's happening, it's imminent, it's affecting us and we have to sit up and we have to grow up and take these issues on and we have to see, for instance, a report that came out yesterday by Antashka as being a serious call for people to, to, to you know, take up a more green diet because the issues are facing us are far too serious for us to ignore at this stage. Do you reject what Joe Healy is saying uh, about us being carbon friendly in terms of how we farm in this country? Ireland is a well-known agricultural country so a, a huge amount of um, you know, of our farming would of, would of course contribute to climate change whether we like it or not. 
Um, and that's something that we can't deny. There's reports all over. They're coming in left, right and centre, as a matter of fact, Joe, um, telling us to to lay off of meat and to lay off the dairy that it's having a devastating impact on the environment all over the world. Um, so, and I think it's, it's, it, it was del- delightful, actually, in many ways, to see that this has been the latest um, move and by government, uh, I suppose, in, in many ways, are coming out now and they're starting to tell people to lay off of eating meat and, and farmers need to, to take that seriously, I suppose, in many ways. Yes, we do know that it's a big industry and we do know that it employs a lot of people, but um, we have to think of the future right now and we have to think of our kids' kids. And I know that was one that we, we'd say mm-hmm. for a good number of years, but the reality is, is that if we, if we turn our backs and look the other way um, and somewhat dress up that we're, we're you know, doing something to combat climate change by probably making farming more greener, we're only fooling ourselves and at the end of the day we'll all suffer as a result. Joe Healy, uh, as you say, you're a father and you come at this uh, from many different angles, but when it comes to dietary advice, are you ignoring the advice from the World Health Organization because uh, there are concerns that meat can be carcinogenic and concerns uh, that eating uh, a lot of meat could be as bad as smoking? Uh, No, and they they actually haven't said that. Uh, The World Health Report, um, where it's analysed over 800 reports, actually highlighted that meat uh, was a very good source of nutrition and uh, an excellent source of protein, uh, vitamins and minerals. And in some cases, some of those vitamins and minerals, B12 was one in particular, I think, that cannot be absorbed by uh, eating plant food, that it can only be absorbed by meat. And if you're not eating meat, that you have to take supplements as a result of that. But, you know, we come back even more local to our own Department of Health and the Food Pyramid and it's very clearly stated there that for young people between the ages of 9 and 18, there are five servings of dairy products recommended per day and two servings that include meat products per day. That's the Department of Health. Uh, I would take uh, dietary advice from those. Uh, I wouldn't take dietary advice from the likes of Antashka or other organisations that are not qualified to give advice on, on, on dietary. And I have parents, I have parents contacting me um, and particularly over the last few days, but even before that, talking about their, their young ki- uh, kids going to school and mm. trying to get them to eat a balanced diet and how influenced they are by uh, teachers in schools and packs in schools. So we argue in the IFA that anything that's available for teachers or uh, students uh, going to school, that it needs to be based on fact and not on the opinions of people Such as the World Health Organization, because you've just rubbished uh, what uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the cancer agency of the World Health Organization, has said about red meat and that it is a definite cause of cancer. No, if you go to the Department of Website and download what... The The IARC, which is the cancer agency of the World Health Organization, the WHO, says processed meat is classified as a definite cause of cancer and red meat as a probable cause of cancer. Well, I would urge people to go to the WHO site and read it for themselves and read their advice on on red meat. And it's very clearly, um, I have it here in front of me, uh, very clearly states that meat is a good form of nutrition. It's a good form of protein yes. and a necessary form of, uh, of uh, minerals and vitamins. And the probable and, cause and, of cancer. And they, and they highlight them there. So, and if we take our own Department of Health here locally, um, they well, put it we, as well. So, but I think it's very important. Well, we can ignore, we can, we can ignore it then. Okay. 
No, we don't ignore well, it. That, that's what, that, that, that's, actually, that, that, that's Michael, what you seem to be doing. Did you not hear me? I'm actually encouraging people to download it for themselves yes. and and get, go to the red meat part of it and see what the WHO... And also to download um, the, the food permit from our own Department of Health. And, um, you know, they can see it there for themselves and it very clearly recommends dairy products and meat as a, a part of a stable diet and particularly for young people. Mm. Uh, and perhaps uh, that's the key, uh, that it's part of uh, the diet. Uh, John Carmody, uh, the idea uh, from Antashka is that people reduce their consumption, uh, not just on a, a daily basis, but I, I gather uh, on each sitting as well, because there is concern that every time we eat meat, we eat too much of it. Uh, I think they say that your portion of meat should be no bigger than the size of your hand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you go into any doctor in this uh, today, Joe, or regardless what food pyramid you see, if you go in about heart, heart disease, cancer, cholesterol, anything like that, they're all telling you to lay off of the meat. As a matter of fact, they're actually stopping short of telling you to go vegan. And all these food pyramids that you're seeing in today, they're all like the, the, the but what about, percentage of but, the food is, is telling you to, 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 to kind of focus more so on, on greens. Um, but, and but, mental uh, look, I know, but what about this idea of needing supplements if you do that? Vegan people have no problems with, with, with um, vegan diet and people have, you know, live perfectly healthy lives. Um, but what's well known is, is that you know, cholesterol um, has been lowered, the risk of cancer... And but it's not a perfectly cancer. healthy diet if you have to supplement it, is it? Is, well, it, well, absolutely it is. I mean, that's for some people, but the vast majority of vegans um, are out there and, you know, we all can absolutely, you know, have this diet. And as long as you, you know, you know what you're doing and you know what you're eating, um, then, then there, there is no problems. And, and that, that's, that's plain to see now. Like, we're, we're moving away from this meaty diet that mm. we were just caught up in for too long. And I think we're, we've turned a corner now. And it's, 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 the, it's going to be the future. It's going to be the modern way of eating. You can't go into a supermarket or a convenience store anymore and you're met with greens and vegetables and non-dairy products and meat-free substitutes everywhere in the oils and like like okay let joe healy conclude on that there's a lot of competition there if nothing else joe healy and, and there is competition and i think but and we have no problem with that and uh, we we always say that diet is about choice it's about balance and we would just urge people um, particularly young people to make sure that the advice that they take uh, is not from uh, organizations that have no authority and have no credibility and no expertise in the area, that they take it from the likes of the Department of Health. And that very clearly states okay. five servings of dairy products per day um, of dairy uh, for young people between the ages of 9 and 18 and two servings of meat. That's not uh, Joe Healy saying that. That's the Department of Health recommending okay. it. I have to leave it there. Thank you both indeed for joining us uh, this Joe. morning. Joe Healy is uh, the president of the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association, and John Carmody was also speaking to us, uh, an animal rights commentator. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. The 30th of June is uh, the latest possible Brexit date. Uh, the Prime Minister, Theresa May, has uh, written to uh, the President of uh, the European Council and asked uh, for an extension until the 30th of June. The 29th of March has obviously passed. The next date is uh, next Friday, the 12th of April or the 22nd of May, or now possibly the 30th of June, or God knows. Let's talk about this with the uh, Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, who's on the line. Good morning to you, Minister, and Thanks Good morning, for Michael. Joining us. Uh, what are your thoughts today? 
Well, I, I, I think like yourself, I suppose things are, are changing rapidly and have been evolving now. And, and even this morning, we see the Prime Minister seeking an extension um, beyond what we're talking about next week. Um, but we've also now already seen a response from Donald Tusk suggesting that the EU could offer, and obviously this would have to be agreed by the 26 other member states, but that we would agree a flexible longer-term extension. So now until the 30th of March next year, so 2020, um, what that would allow would be for the Prime Minister to still try and work towards the date of the 22nd of May. Um, but that it would mean that they would have to prepare for European elections and they would have to start preparing candidates. So, I mean, really at the moment, what, what we have now, obviously, from a UK point of view, we have a number of things happening. Uh, you have a piece of legislation going through the House of Lords and back to the Commons, which would essentially legally require the Prime Minister to seek an extension from the EU if it looked as though a no deal was the only option. Um, you know, that is obviously positive, but at the same time, it doesn't stipulate how long of an extension, for what reason, or anything with further detail on that. And, and obviously, it would have to be agreed by the EU27. You also have the Prime Minister speaking now to her counterpart, which, you know, I think we, we, we've all been hoping and, and wanting this to happen um in a more in-depth way and, and uh, in, in a greater detail than has before. And that seems to be happening now over the past few days to see can they actually come to a consensus as to what to do next. So that's between Labour and the Conservatives. At a European level, at an Irish level, I suppose what we're doing is continuing to prepare, but also we now have a summit next week. Uh, and given the fact that the Prime Minister has sought an extension, you have Donald Tusk's proposal you know, I think we'll have probably a very long discussion uh, similar to the one we had only three weeks ago or two weeks ago uh, where we will have to decide what next and, and what does that mean. And, you yeah. know, there's people listening who are, are thinking of European elections. There are people who are putting themselves forward as well. What does that mean for them if, if there mm. were to be an am extension I, I, in the UK? Am I right in well? thinking, Minister, that if they don't sort it out by next week, by this day next week, that the UK must field candidates in the European elections. And if that is so, what could it mean for those MPs, MEPs that are elected in the United Kingdom if they were to leave on the 30th of June or the 29th of March next year or some other date? Well, my understanding, and again, I suppose this, it, it, it's quite unclear, and I think this is what a lot of discussions have been taking place on to try and figure out legally how this would work, but also practically how this would work if there were to be a long extension as as per Donald Tusk's proposal, if they were to run candidates and, and obviously if they were to be successful, the an agreement might be reached in June, it might be reached in November, it might not be reached until later on or early next year. And again, these are just all possible outcomes, but at that stage they would leave um, and as would their MEPs. So, you know, I think for people who genuinely want to run and to be part of Europe and for those MEPs who are currently MEPs and, and believe in Europe, I think for them it would obviously be very difficult and, and a very difficult position to be in. Um, but this proposal, again, as I've said, it, it is only a proposal. It's in response mm. to the Prime Minister's letter this morning yeah. where she has sought a longer extension. But you're right, they do have to say by, well, I suppose by the 12th, which is this day week next Friday, but the summit is on Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. so they really have to indicate by Wednesday whether or not they will run. So but we when, really, you know, I, I say yeah. this every time, but we're, we're coming mm. down to the last few days where we need to see a, a very clear direction from the UK, otherwise the 12th is, is the date we're now looking at for a no deal. Okay, but uh, imagine they feel candidates uh, and 
people are elected to the European Parliament. What then if they leave in June or that date you said, the 29th of March, or some <laughs> other date? I'm not sure the date is relevant to the question. No. But no. what happens uh, the, uh, if they leave, the MEPs... Uh, lose their seats, uh, they step down. And what happens then to the European Commission and what happens also to the European budget? Well, again, I suppose this this all has to be negotiated and discussed. And I suppose in terms of the European budget, part of the agreement that we currently have, and, and you would hope that if it got to that stage, and I suppose all of this is hypothetical, if they sought a long extension, if they ran for European elections and elected candidates, if there was then an agreement reached the budget wouldn't change and that there would still be that commitment to continue to pay in for the remaining two years of this current seven-year budget. What happens after that then, obviously, there would be a conversation on the future relationship and how they would partake possibly in different programmes and what that would look like in the budget. But obviously then what that would mean for candidates at home possibly here because we now have people who are running, who have put themselves forward, who are spending a lot of time and their energy and money as well to try and be elected and, and of course we want to see that these people if they are elected that they can take their seats so there's there's lots of complexities here I mean legally we have put the measures in place that would allow for this but you know other countries possibly it's not as straightforward and it's not as easy to do to have candidates run to be elected yeah. but possibly not able to take their seats so you know I unfortunately don't have yeah. a, a lot of the details as to what that might look like I think people will forgive you Minister yet. yeah I think people yeah. um, do, 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 do you have uh, any answers in terms of what the response will be to Mrs May's latest request is it a, a foregone conclusion that it will be rejected and it will be uh, sorted out by next week or crash out next week or uh, the uh, go to May uh, if you can uh, propose something or look at a 12-month extension? I genuinely think, and I suppose speaking on our behalf and, and this government, we've always said, and, and I believe that if there is a request for an extension, that we need to look at it favourably and we need to do everything that we can to avoid a no deal, but also to, to protect the European Union. So we need to look at how we could actually make it work. And I, I genuinely think that other countries are in a similar position. You know, I can't speak for, for them all, but at the same time, there is a frustration there as well. So it can't just be an open-ended extension. So I think the Prime Minister's request today will be met in some quarters by with scepticism and, and some who will... Uh, say that this isn't possible because she's not suggesting that they run for European elections. But I think what will happen now, obviously, we have a possibility of further votes in the UK this week, depending on how the discussions go between Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn and what that might look like. She has said if they can't reach an agreement, then they might host a further set of indicative votes and depending on what happens there. But again, you saw yourself last week, they held four votes on customs on a second referendum and other options, and none of them passed. So we might find ourselves, the Prime Minister, coming to the Council next Wednesday with a request for an extension, not necessarily what the EU wants, but I think that's where you come together, where we try and find a compromise and try and find a way forward that works, because really nobody nobody wants a no-deal in this, in this circumstance. But at the same time, we, we have to protect the integrity of the, the, the European Union and we have to try and make sure that it's done in a way that works and that people are, are respected and that the institutions are respected and, and that the European elections are respected as well. Mm-hmm. So the next few days between now and Wednesday, obviously there's a lot of things that could happen and change. I think over the day today, we'll see a further response. Donald Tusk 
gave his initial response, but of course the, the Commission, Michel Barnier and the other member states mm. would have to take that on board and, and see what their responses are. So we'll we uh, probably the, see that throughout mm, the day. And, and the leaders at the Council Summit next Wednesday, as you say, and to, to some degree, I gather you can't speak on behalf of Germany or articulate what Germany is thinking after meeting with uh, the Chancellor yesterday. And uh, a lot of people were very pleased with the solidarity uh, that uh, Ms Merkel sh- showed with this country. Uh, do you think uh, that she would be open to a short extension? Again, I'm, I, in terms of a longer resource, I don't know what their preference might be. I, I think Germany, like other member states, want to avoid a no deal, but it can't just be an open-ended request. So, you know, she was extremely supportive yesterday, as was Macron when, when the Taoiseach visited him earlier on this week. Um, and I think she she understands, A, what it is that we're trying to protect here in Ireland, but also she understands how important it is for there to be a deal. So, you know, I think this will be looked upon, and I hope it's looked upon favourably, uh, not just from Germany and, and the larger member states, but the smaller member states as well, who, who are looking at this and thinking if, if, if something like this were to happen to us, we would like to think that we would be in a similar situation and that we would be supported in the same way that Ireland are. So there's a lot of support and, and engagement among the member states to try and get this right, to try and make sure that the UK leave in an orderly fashion, but that Ireland and other countries impacted don't feel um, the, the, the unintended consequences of a no deal. But, you know, in saying all of this, accidents can happen and, and we need to keep working with the UK to make sure that everything that they're doing doesn't lead us unintentionally to a circumstance where we aren't able to find an agreement. But I, I really, I don't think that will happen and I, I, I hope that it won't. But it could happen, as you say, as remote as a possibility that they crash out this day next week. Uh, it remains possible, you say, Minister? I, I, I think the likelihood is very, very small. Um, but as I've said, accidents can happen. But I, I think we need to see what happens in the House of Commons. I am very much... Um, I suppose my, my opinion on this is based on the fact that the UK are very clear in saying that they don't want to leave without a deal and I do think European colleagues are of the same opinion. We certainly are of that view and any request for mm. an extension will be looked upon favourably by us and I do believe by other member states but it can't just be an open-ended extension without any commitment to the European election so I think we're possibly looking at that extension but obviously uh, when we could reach a deal would be the next question and I think sooner rather than later because the longer this goes on the longer it prolongs the uncertainty we've seen the figures in the UK this week 600 million a week has been lost to their economy we know how it's already impacted on some of our own economy and certain sectors Mm. and industries Um, We were talking about that central bank forecast of parity between the two currencies uh, should they crash out uh, and all of it is very scary but uh, do you think it is realistic uh, to imagine that come Monday morning we'll be talking about a general election in the United Kingdom and if not Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday? I suppose anything is, is possible would be the response to that. But I, you know, I don't think that would help. I think it would actually only make things even more difficult in the UK, um, particularly if you have a new uh, well, the, the timeline that it takes while you can have a, a shorter election than normal in the UK, it's still longer than what we would have here. So you would be seeking an extension, but they would still have to prepare then for European elections. So I think that there's a lot of challenges with that. Um, but I think the fact that Jeremy Corbyn and that the Prime Minister are now coming together have shown a very clear willingness and a want to work together. I think that's extremely positive. And I think as well, the fact that the Prime Minister is now herself seeking a longer extension shows that they don't want the crash out and that really their focus and their objective 
is to try and find a solution to this. So, mm. you know, I, at the same time, I need to just encourage people if they haven't, because a lot of it, it doesn't cost money. It's just maybe taking a bit of time, whether it's going on revenue, whether it's engaging with your insurers, whether it's making sure that you are as prepared as you can be. The website, the www.dfa website, has two very clear um, sections, Brexit and you and Brexit and your business. And I would just encourage people to go online because, as I've said, while I don't think it's likely the same time accidents do happen and we just need people to be as prepared as they possibly can be. Minister, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, That's uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Helen McEntee, who's a Fine Gael TD in Mideast. Michael Reed on LMFM. Many of you will know Linda Murray not just because you've heard her previously on LMFM or watched her on uh, the news over the course of uh, the last 24 hours, but because her children have uh, been in Huckleberry's Play Centre in Navan. Linda was on the news over the course of the last 24 hours uh, because she appeared before an Oireachtas committee yesterday and we'd hear a little bit of what she had to say to the members. This is my livelihood. Sorry. Just ten seconds. Sorry. No, I'm okay. I'm sorry about that. I am the only play centre in Navan. The other play centre closed six weeks ago. Navan has a population of 40,000 people and there's lots of children that need to go and play, especially on rainy days or need to go somewhere to have their kids' parties. And I really don't want to close in 25 days. My own case is horrific, but it's not unusual. What I would like to ask and to challenge our government is save my livelihood, save the livelihoods of all our members, save the livelihoods of our staff and give our kids somewhere to play. Linda Murray joins us now. Good morning to you, Linda, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, It's obviously not just your business or your livelihood. It's what you live for to a a large degree, but you're facing closure because of unaffordable insurance premiums, and uh, it's six weeks you have left at this stage, is it? Um, 24 days today. Oh, 24 days. Yeah. Um, And thank you so much for having me on. I'm actually a bit emotional again listening to that um, that you just put on. Um, It just, it it came out of the blue yesterday. um, But when I start talking about staff and my livelihood and how much I love Huckleberries, um, it does strike a chord. Mm. But I have 24 days left um, until my insurance ends. And I'm doing all I can to try and get insurance to be able to stay open, Michael, at this stage. Mm. Uh, So there's little prospect of you being open in four weeks' time. Um, I'm do, I, look. I'm, I'm not going down without a very big fight. And even over the last two days, with the amount of um, media coverage um, that's covered it, I wasn't expecting any of this. Um, a lot of insurance companies have actually rang to offer help. So we'll see what happens. I have to. I'll try and ring them back in, in the afternoon. Mm. Um, but um, it is a very. It's a very. Scary reality of what's happening to activity and play centres across the length and breadth of Ireland. Um, I've literally a queue of people trying to join our organisation, which is called Pally, which is Play Activity and Leisure Ireland. We've 60 businesses in there now, and they're all in there just for one reason, and that's because they can't get fair insurance or can't get insurance at all. And in um, your case, they're looking for 16,000. That's the best quote you can get, is it? Oh, I wish I could get it at that price, Michael. It was 16500 last year to get a personal loan for that. Um, no, they've offered me no insurance this year. And what they've said is, is if, if I was to get insurance, it would be around the €26,000 mark. 
which is uh, impossible to operate. It's a thousand and forty percent increase on my first year. It's a, it's impossible. I, I wouldn't be able to afford it. I already took a cut of my own wages last year, um, and uh, kind of had to rearrange costings to to pay the sixteen and a half thousand back. So it just wouldn't be worth it. Um, I'd I'd be better off trying to find a job. Do you know the way? So, mm. um, what I'm trying to do is hang on because I don't have a, ha- a high staff turnover in Huckleberry's. People who come in to work for me stay. We have a fabulous team, um, and that's why I'm getting so emotional. Is I don't want any of them to to lose their jobs. Um, we have people that uh, have mortgages. We have lots of girls putting themselves through college. Um, some of them studying childcare because they love it so much. Um, the kids that come in, you know, we've seen them coming in from being in their mommy's arms, you know, breastfeeding to going and having their fifth and sixth birthdays in the place. It's such a lovely, warm environment. Mm. It's a small play centre. It's not. It's not a big, huge place. It's only yeah. four and a half thousand square feet. Looks it's great. An in, it's an intimate yeah. environment. We were watching it on the news last night. Looks great. Looks ah, like a, a lot you. of fun for the kids. Uh, yeah. uh, and as you say, it's not uh, the only play centre. It's not the only centre that's facing these type of problems. And you've come together uh, under this group, Play Activity and Leisure Ireland. And you've yeah. been talking about one of uh, the centres uh, that was paying 1500 but has now been quoted 33000 yeah, I mean, it's, I know it sounds like the numbers have been plucked out of the sky, but that's that's the reality. I mean, another centre in County Meads, uh, you might have heard them um, on radio there during the week, uh, their quote this, the quote has come in at 257,000 for their insurance. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds like someone who's just won the lotto. Yeah, Do you know yeah, the way? Not someone who's expected yeah. to pay insurance. Um, yeah, we've centres, another centre in, in County Meads, um, uh, uh, ha- sorry, uh, have never had a claim in their 11 years of business and paid 6,000 last year and we're lucky to get away with paying 12,000 this year and we're told by their insurance company you're very lucky that you're getting it at 12,000. That's what we're faced with. And there's a number of reasons for it um, but and, and 99.9% of people, Michael, don't um, claim when their mm. child gets a cut or a scrape in a centre but it just takes that one person in your whole business to claim and it affects you big time and as I said before, I know people are probably thinking, well, you know, they're insured, so it's okay if I claim it really isn't. We end up paying for it or we end up closing our doors. That's the way it is. So um, if even through all of what I'm doing, if I even just discourage somebody from actually putting in a claim to any type of business, whether it's a cafe or a restaurant or a leisure centre, just really think twice because that business will probably not survive after you do it. And one suggestion is uh, that group insurance might be possible, that you'd be insured as a cooperative. Yes. So um, that's looking pretty likely. So fingers crossed and all of your listeners that say prayers, please please pray for us right now. But um, we've put a group scheme together. Um, as I said, we've 60 businesses in Pali and um, we've put a group scheme together. It's gone across the water uh, to try and get insurance in the UK. No Irish uh, insurance company would look at it, even though they posted 200 million in profits in the last few months. Um, but it's gone across the water and uh, we're really hoping that we get somewhere with that. And that would mean that we're together kind of as a co-op, as you said, a group scheme uh, working together it's you know it'll mean that we all have uh, stringent HR policies health and safety policies risk assessments all that type of thing we do anyway but it'll just be making sure that everybody has it um, and uh, and that hopefully we can continue to get insurance that way okay. now don't get me wrong we shouldn't have had to do that mm. I mean we should be able to just go out and get our own insurance but unfortunately that's not the case at the moment yeah well look best of luck with it uh, I'm sure we'll talk over the course of uh, the next three four weeks anyway Linda and possibly beyond that but thanks for joining us thank Pally- you so much Thank you. Pally, by the way, is uh, the Play Activity and Leisure Ireland Group. Linda is also director of uh, the board of uh, the Alliance for Insurance Reform and owns Huckleberry's Play Centre in Navan. That's Linda Murray, who brings our programme to its conclusion today. Have a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Cark McCross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark McCross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark McCross or CarkMcCrossCU.ie Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.